this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So today I am doing this series called Unsung Heroes of the Bible and I am sharing a story with you that I have never, ever, ever preached on in worship and might never preach on it again. So I hope you've come ready because here it comes. This is my one shot at this story. And before I begin, I want to do a little intro to this because I want you to know as as a preacher, I see my responsibility as someone who tries to introduce you to the story, the sacred text, to help you learn something about it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I hope you find something worth taking home with you that applies and speaks to you in your own life. That's what I seek to do each and every week. And the problem with this story that I'm going to get to just a little bit, the problem with it is that you could read it and actually say, well, what's, what's the good news in this story? Where, where is the good news in this story this morning? You know, the Bible is really more like an encyclopedia of stories across time and culture and languages, mostly Hebrew and Greek. And there are beautiful, inspiring words. The prodigal son, the story of the good Samaritan, prophets like Micah, you know, O mortal, what the Lord requires of you but to do justice Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Beautiful words. I happen to think Jesus' Sermon on the Mount could probably change anybody's life. It is so powerful and beautiful. But the Bible also has stories that are challenging, that make us uncomfortable, that are perplexing even, disturbing Stories where God does not seem to fit neatly inside a little box. And this one is going under the uncomfortable and disturbing category, friends. In fact, I would not be surprised if you've never even read this story in your Bible before. It's, it's certainly, there's no nursery songs about it. I've never seen it stitched on anyone's pillow in their house. I have... Uh, It's not even a part of the lectionary, which is the suggested order of scriptures that goes a three-year rotation. It's not a part of it. So I'd understand if you're not familiar, but our unsung hero today's name is Jael. Now, Hebrew, they would say Yael, but I'm going to say it the Kentucky way, the way we would say it, but I want you to know the correct way. (laughs) But we're going to say Jael today. And before I read the passage, I'm going to give you a little background into this story because it begins in the book of Judges. And Judges is a book in the Old Testament that tells the story of the time when Israel was ruled by a series of 12 different judges before kings. 
And it happens to be told during Deborah's reign. Deborah was the fourth of the judges. She's also called a prophet, not a label commonly given to women in the Bible. And uh, judges served to settle legal religious disputes that were really one and the same. But they also served as commanders in chief, so in charge of a military. And Deborah was in the midst of fighting the Canaanites for 20 years. For 20 years, there had been war and battles, Israel versus the Canaanites. And Deborah has decided that she wants to finally beat these Canaanites for good. The Canaanites are led by King Jabin, and their most powerful Canaanite commander is a guy named Sisera. So Deborah summons her best commander, Barak, and she tells Barak, we're going to go take these Canaanites under Sisera on, and we're going to beat them. And Barak says, mm, I don't know. I'll go if you go, Deborah. And Deborah, and this sort of really, this part really amuses me because Deborah's like, fine, Barak, I'll go with you to this battle, but just because you have responded this way, there will be no hero, there will be no pride for you in winning this battle. The hero of this story is going to be a woman. She prophecies that this, the hero of this story is going to be a woman. But the battle happens Barak and his men, Sisera and his men versus the Canaanites. The Israelites are way outmatched, but God provides, and a big rain comes, and all the Canaanites' chariots, their big fancy chariots, get stuck in the mud, and it forces them to fight head-to-head -head in a battle, and Israel is about to win, and Sisera, the Canaanite, sees the writing on the walls, and he literally makes a run for the hills. And he runs to Jael's house. <laughs> Jael is a part of the Hebrew clan, and she's a Kenite. She's not Jewish. She's not Canaanite. Her people have been living in the midst of this battle and staying out of it this whole time. And the Canaanite commander runs to her house. And this is where our story takes place today. And it's in Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, have no fear. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug, and then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. He said to her, Stand at the entrance of the tent, and if anybody comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness, and he died. Then, as Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there was Sisera lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. Yikes. Now, 
After Jael does this, Israel is able to defeat the rest of the Canaanite army and end this 20-year war between them, and they come into an era of peace for many, many years under Deborah's leadership. It's certainly a hard story to hear. It conjures to mind lots of theological and ethical questions, frankly, the questions of is it right to do bad in the hopes of some greater good? Maybe you're even familiar of the, of the concept of just war theories. Uh, someone I admire greatly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German minister who was imprisoned and died during World War II, put to death by his own country. He struggled with this very dilemma in a powerful way. He was someone that believed that violence and war and murder were all wrong, and yet ultimately he decided to get involved in a plot to overthrow his government and to kill Hitler. It failed, but he went against his own belief system in the hopes that doing that would save innocent lives. Jael gave him milk. She covered him with a blanket. She practically tucked him in. He went to sleep. They weren't at war with the Canaanites. They were not enemies. She told him to rest his weary eyes, and then she took the tools she had around her, and she killed him. Now, is this a story of someone doing bad in the hopes of some greater good? I'll let you try to decide that for yourself today. Of course, like everything in life, this story is complicated. It's complicated. There are elements of uh, gender power dynamics, cultural expectations of the day, authority. First of all, scholars are quick to point out that he is coming to her tent while her husband is not home. If her husband returned to find this man in her tent, there could be some real harsh discussions amongst the family. It could very well be some serious repercussions for her as a woman in her day. And mindful as a woman, she really had no power and control over the situation for him coming in, and he asked her to lie for him. Something that could have thrown her entire clan, her entire people into jeopardy. Can you imagine what could have happened to her if Barak, the Israel commander found out that she had lied to him and had protected the Canaanite commander. Think of what could have happened to her. They had been like Switzerland this whole time, not involved in this war, and certainly this would all change with that lie. Now others are quick to point out that what this likely could be was a self-protective move, a choiceless choice the old caught between a rock and a hard place. No decision is without its repercussions here. And then there's the idea of sanctuary and hospitality. This was so strong in their culture and their time that Caesarea would have rightfully thought that he could trust her. They weren't at war against one another and he rightfully believed that he could find a safe place and to trust her, and you could argue that she used that trust to her advantage. But now later on, 
And chapter five is known as Deborah's Song, which is a victory song that was shared in worship that recounts the whole story of this battle and what happened and how Jael was involved in it. And here's, I'm just gonna read you the part of the song in chapter five that mentions her. It says, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked water, she gave him milk, she brought him curds and a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet, and she struck Sisera a blow. Song calls her most blessed among women. It's actually a phrase used in the New Testament to talk about Mary, mother of Jesus, blessed among women. Now, maybe you're not super comfortable with calling Jael an unsung hero today, and that's okay. I certainly hope, please don't walk out of here and think that your minister has given you the right to grab any tent peg you can find and take care of your enemies that way. That is not, not the message I'm going for, and I hope you hear me when I say that. But I suppose, if anything of value in this story that I want you to see here today is that it's complicated, that this is complicated. And sometimes for reasons not of our own doing, we are put in complicated situations. Situations where it feels like nobody's gonna win, that no matter what, it's lose, lose. Situations that are out of our control, situations we would never ever begin to choose for our own lives, but here we are. And I think, I think in those moments, what we are called to do is simply to try to be faithful. Faithful to the moment at hand, even if we don't know what's going to happen next, even if so much of what happens next is beyond our control, to be faithful, to be faithful. I'm mindful the entire experience of this pandemic for our church, that I have tried to keep ahead of myself with every step of the way. We have had to stop wonderful, amazing ministries. We've had to modify and change and adapt again and again, and none of it has been in our control. None of it has been in your control either. And yet, with all that out of our hands, it frees us up to do what we are actually called to do anyway, to be faithful, just to try our best to be faithful to the challenge and the moment at hand and leave the rest to God. You know, I've said this quote to you so many times, I don't even remember who said it anymore, that something I keep on a post-it note in my office, that God doesn't call us to be successful, God calls us to be faithful. You know, there's a story I thought of with this, with this story of JL this week, of a minister friend of mine, and I've shared it with you before, um, his father was the regional minister of the Christian churches in Tennessee in the 1960s. And he told me a story about how the church there, their church camp called Camp Bethany Hill, still thriving today. And the camp 
was coming to a decision about whether to integrate the camp. The camp had been exclusive to white people only. And the board was actually going to be voting on that measure. And the regional minister, I can only imagine, I think, the pressure, the pressure it would have been to just try to keep your head down and stay out of it, to let the board fight it out amongst themselves even. The pressure of recognizing that there were probably likely very powerful white churches that gave a lot of money, money that paid his salary, <laughs> um, that were against the decisions. But his dad that night went to that board meeting and said that if they did not vote immediately that night to make that camp a camp for all the children of the Christian churches in Tennessee, to somehow face this wrong that they had willfully embraced for far too long, that he was going to turn in his resignation that night. That's the thing, he chose to be faithful no matter the consequences. He chose to try to do the right thing. And I'm happy to tell you he kept his job that night. And JL blessed among women. They're still singing a song about her courage and bravery. But I suppose for all of us in different ways, sometimes big ways, often daily small decisions, we are invited to face with courage the challenge of the present moment, to be faithful, to choose to be faithful, even if we can't even begin to know how it all work out or how it all will end, even if we know how it's all so out of our control, we have a choice to be faithful and to trust the rest into God's capable hands. And you know what? You know what? That actually sounds like good news to me. Amen. Amen.